All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of Triple G, Ginger's Great Iron and Golf Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Kerr, a.k.a. The Ginger, as we record here tonight, Wednesday, April 13th, and uh, another episode full of great content and material for your listening ear, so appreciate you uh, joining me alongside this uh, this wonderful ride as we approach 100 episodes uh, we are just over 90 now, so we're going to make that 100th episode pretty special. And we start to approach the spring and summer months, so golf season is uh, ramping up and kicking off in style here in southern Ontario. So excited to get out and play uh, my first round and many more rounds throughout the course of uh, the summer of 2022 here. But a couple, uh, a couple, one a big event ending, and we'll review that today on the podcast, and uh, one a big event, big event in the NFL coming up. So uh, today's episode, we'll give our Masters a review and wind down of what we thought of the 86 Masters in the 20 in the 2022 Masters. Scotty Scheffler with the uh, with the victory, and then we'll start to gear up after break. We'll step away from the world of golf a little bit and we'll gear up into the NFL draft. We were hoping to be joined tonight by uh, by Joe Marino from the Draft Network and the Locked On Bills podcast. Weren't able to catch up with him, but uh, hoping to catch up in the next couple of weeks with either him or Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network and many more um, to get you in this three-week lead-up to the NFL Draft as uh, the fireworks have come fast and furious in the offseason in the NFL. And um, I'm going to work through just some of the, the, the highlights of the first round of the draft, what you're going to see. Um, where the sweet spot we I believe the NFL draft is is in the NFL draft in 2022 here and some of the highlights just to kind of get you going and, and lay the foundation here as we uh, we kick up this lead up but let's start off first and foremost with the 86 masters and the masters review and uh, what we thought of it like uh, like mentioned earlier and as as all of you know Scotty Scheffler uh, goes ahead goes ahead and wins this golf tournament kind of going away a little bit and uh for those that joined me thank you for who those who joined me on our instagram live on sunday morning um at 11 a.m master sunday to kick it off and and you've got you had a little bit of my thoughts and you've got uh you know a little background on kind of what i felt about the tournament but overall um you know after many many years of being spoiled uh with the masters and what has happened and some of these iconic and epic finishes um i'm not sure if it's the golf course that we've lost or if it's just kind of this event is similar to the super bowl for for me and many in the fact that it it ebbs and flows and it's cyclical in terms of um, some of the epic finishes that we get and then we get a few that are not so eventful and if you look at it you know Stefan Tito made mention to it um, on last week's podcast in our, our podcast or our Masters preview show that, you know, what's the what's the biggest thing you're going to remember from the 2021 Masters? Probably John Rahm shooting six under or Xander Shoffley dumping in the water on, on, on 16. 2020, DJ ran away with it. 2019, there's an epic Masters. Tiger in a close battle uh, wins in his return. 2018, uh... Patrick Reed, okay, Ricky Fowler, Jordan Spieth with the run. 2017 was was a uneventful but good Masters in terms of Garcia and Rose going head-to-head, two great guys, go to a playoff. And then you get Danny Willett um, in, a, in a tough, nasty golf course kind of holding on. 
And then you get Jordan Spieth with, with a runaway. When you really start to break it down over the last eight or nine years here at this event, there hasn't been many iconic finishes and, and things that have happened um, on the back nine or the second nine at Augusta that, that we remember and that we remember growing up and what came allowed us to come to this event and love this event so much. And I attribute a lot of that to the, to the golf course changes that, that Augusta National and this committee has made over the last uh, numerous years here in trying to toughen up this golf course. And I think they've taken away from some of the some of the things that, that we've loved. Overall, you know, Scotty kind of t- takes control of this event on Friday afternoon with a five-shot lead after after two rounds. He's holding a three-shot lead after after three rounds. And the first four the first four holes especially, but to me, let's say the first six holes for Scheffler were so crucial. Uh, when you look at it, he hits one out of the first four greens, and he's standing on the fifth tee at one under par. And then he hits a shot in on, hits two good shots on five, and then hits a, a poor iron shot on six. And he's in classic three putt territory where guys, you know, Tyrrell Hatton four putted from that area earlier in the week. Um, and Scotty sinks a, you know, an eight footer coming back up the hill uh, when when Cam Smith had put the pressure on him there on six. And all of a sudden, Scotty Scheffler's hit three out of the first six greens, one out of the first four, and he's two under par to start after seven, one under after six, and he's got that three-shot lead back after Cam had come out, went birdie-birdie on one-two, giving it right back. Um, the TSN turning point, if you will, or the turning point of the final round was ha- happened at the third green. That w- that was the turning point, and to me that was uh, just about you know thir- the third green and the fourth green. That, that kind of ended the Sunday. Um, Rory made it fun, and, and that's to be honest, what we're probably going to remember are the 2022 Masters. You know, okay, Scheffler and his hot run, we'll, we'll remember a little bit of that. But a lot of people, when you ask them about the 2022 Masters, they're going to remember Rory McIlroy in the 64, tied for the lowest final round at Augusta, and that epic finish on 18. And he had other opportunities. But to Scheffler's point, um, Smith birdies the first two holes. Scheffler's in the trees, left on three. And dumps it short. Looks like that's that's classic bogey territory or tough up and down territory there, uh, short of that third green with the slope leading up into that green, and how elevated it is. And Smith's got a, a great opportunity. Take your medicine. Take your 15 footer down the hill for birdie. Put the pressure. Continue to put the pressure back on Scotty Scheffler, and he hits it short. And uh, and then and then Scotty chips it in and whammo. The, the mojo just flips. Scheffler makes a great up and down from back left corner of the fourth green. And before you know it, the one-shot lead is back up to um, four shots at that point. And he actually gained a stroke. And like I said, he walks off hitting one of the first four greens. And Scotty walks off one under par. To me, it stole at least two, if not three shots there right off the hop. And it totally calmed him down. If you notice from that point, from that fourth green on, he really starts to hit a lot of quality shots. Um, for the next probably 10, 12 holes, right? You, you look at a birdie seven, solid, good birdie, good par on, on eight, uh, good par on nine, and he, he just settles right into his round after a real shaky start. And um, <clears throat> having the lefts pretty much coming out from 18 on Saturday through the first four holes on, on Sunday. But to, um, to my golf course point, 
really it, the par fives to me a combination of of uh, conditions earlier in the week in terms of the wetness and the the changes to the um, the golf course and a little bit of the weather on Friday and Saturday. Um, some of the fire of the par fives at Augusta. Yeah, guys are still making birdies, but you know, let's let's run through it. You know, uh, start with number two. Only six eagles all week on the second hole. One double. Okay, not a bad not a bad eagle to double percentage, right? Then you go to number eight. One one eagle made all week. Just as many doubles as eagles made on number eight, right? That's probably a little bit more um, conditions, uh, wind conditions there on number eight in terms of guys being able to turn it around the corner. There were some different wind conditions um, that happened throughout the course of the week uh, that made it a little bit tougher. So um, that was one thing for sure that that changed maybe on on eight. Um, and then you know you go to the back nine. You've only got six eagles made all all week on thirteen. Two of them in the same group on Sunday. Um, three on three in round one and three in round four. Colin Morikawa and uh, Rory specifically to ten doubles. So you got more doubles on thirteen than you've got eagles. And then fifteen is a big one for me. Talked about it on the Instagram live. Zero eagles made. You heard it on the on the telecast if you watched uh, on on Sunday for sure uh, to six doubles. The new T deck on on fifteen, um, and the lengthening of that hole is to me really taking away the the fire and the fun in that golf hole, and and I really hope they don't do the same on thirteen. I really hope that you know I know they've bought that adjacent property off uh, Augusta Country Club, in behind uh, the thirteenth, and and there's talk about for many years now about them lengthening that hole, and I I really hope that they don't. I really really hope they don't because I think the golf course showed its fire. I think, um, yes, okay, we've seen runaways, you know, uh, DJ, but that was at a different time. That was in November. Um, we've seen guys go low. We've seen Spieth go low. We've seen DJ go low. We've seen Tiger go low. But with the right conditions, it's still a, a very, very good test for these guys. And I think we came to fall in, this, fall in love with this event because of, the eagles and the birdies and all those things that happen on the back nine. And I think that was taken away from us a little bit because let's, let's call a spade a spade. It is not the best field. And there is 10 to 12 guys in this field. That's already limited at 89. By the time we teed off and Paul Casey withdrew on, on Thursday morning, that let alone Louis, Louis Oosthuizen on, on, uh, on Friday morning. Thanks Louis. Had you picked there, bud, but uh, an injury is an injury. He did not look well on, uh, on Thursday. That was for sure. But, you know, we were down to sub-90 in this field by the time Friday morning teed off. You take away the Mike Weirs and the VJ Sings and some of these past champions that you and I all both know um, do not have an opportunity to truly win this event. And, you know, th- this field's truly a 75-man field. It is, it is very small, very tiny, not filled with the world's best. And... We've come to live with that, and we've come to accept that as 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 a form of tradition, and and that's what this the Masters is built around is tradition with the green jacket and the same time frame every April on the same golf course with the same flags or very similar flags. It's it, the whole Masters brand is built around a tradition, a tradition like none other, and that's what we're used to. And and the tradition is for guys to make eagles 
and a lot of birdies on 13 and 15 and the par fives. And this Masters and, and others that we've seen in the last few years here has taken away from that due to the changes on the golf course. And I don't think they've got them right. And I hope they don't continue to lengthen this golf course and try to make it more and more because I talk, we talked about it on the, on the preview show. We talked about it on the Instagram Live. Um, to me, you're just narrowing the field more and more and more into bombers. Um, Colin Morikawa bucked the trend, but look at Webb Simpson. You know, I gave him a shout out on the, on Sunday morning, seventy six on Sunday, for four rounds for for these guys that are, you know, medium distance hitters, or you know, middle of the pack in terms of driving distance in, on the PGA Tour. It's tough. It's very very tough. But let's talk to, about some of the good that happened um, in the Masters, and that is the man who moves the needle. The man who is the needle, I shall say, and that is Tiger Woods. Um, absolutely epic return for Tiger. Um, first two rounds in terms of ratings were the, the most watched Masters in the last uh, four years, I believe, is, is what I said. Yeah, the last four years. And even though Sunday was only a 5.8 rating, which is the lowest in the last three years and um, third lowest in the last three decades, because it was an uneventful and Masters, and a lot of people truly believe that Scotty, being so hot, had this wrapped up. They also thought, okay, you know, um, in terms of Tiger, he, he, he'd kind of run his course by then, especially for for most average fans that may tune in for Tiger. You can see why Thursday, Friday were so epic. One, okay, you want to see him out of the gate. Okay, shoot 71. Great. Friday, got to tune in, see what he does, see if Tiger can win the Masters, see if he can make the cut. Shoot 74, he makes the cut, great. Then we see that 78 on on uh, on Saturday in those tough, windy, blustery conditions. He didn't play that bad. He putted horribly, uh, which I'll get into here shortly. And then, uh, you know, the, the bogeys on 4, 5, and 6 on Sunday, and that was kind of the Tiger show, kind of done at that point. And at that point, it was more about... To me, the the diehard Tiger fans and the diehard golf fans who are going to continue to tune in. And one I would like to, the second part of that is I'd like to know on the ratings, um, how many people are, are tuning into the app? Because I'll be honest, uh, coverage over the course of the weekend, yeah, I had it on in the background and I was with my family watching it as I, as I always do as a tradition. Um, my brother and my dad and, and, and others. Uh I did the most of my consumption of the Masters via the app and and clicking in and out of player profiles, um, especially for those cheering on Corey Connors. I think we saw maybe a max of a hand half a dozen times over the course of the entire weekend for a guy who, yeah, okay, he backdoored uh, T6 by birdie in 17 and 18, but he was in and around all weekend long. And to only see him a half dozen times and, and only get... Um, Putts, you know, like specifically the uh, Sunday Sunday on the 10th hole, he stuffs one into about six feet, probably almost hits the shot of the day and and um, don't even see it. You just get him the putt, which was delayed by about three or four minutes and it's finally kicked back to Corey Connors. And if you're following along on the app, you'd already seen it. So I'd like to see how the, the emergence of how good that Masters app is in terms of uh, viewing and, you know, really picking your leaderboard and following along who you want to follow along with and not have to follow along with who CBS and, and other networks want you to follow along. 
um, has to do with that. So uh, it'd be real interesting to see the statistics on that. I'll keep my eye out, out for that for sure. But that's one thing that I think their emergence of their app effectively, depending on the masters and what happens, could affect um, you know viewership and ratings via TV and other sources as well. But um, I was surprised with the reason why Tiger struggled on the weekend. You know, if you were to, to ask me, hey, you know, Tiger's going to shoot 71, 74, 78, 78. To, to a dollar to cents, I would have told you that um, body's going to break down, going to get tired, ball striking is going to go, and yeah, he'll be able to chip and putt a little bit and maintain, but it, it's going to fade away. And that wasn't the case. Um, he struck it pretty solid all week long. Um, he drove the ball really, really well on Sunday. They made mention of that on the telecast. Um, I found early on in the round uh, on Thursday, I thought a lot of three woods, classic Tiger just easing into a golf tournament, especially a major golf tournament. And then he started to ramp up and hit more drivers. And it could have been conditions, could have been how he was feeling, but um, I didn't know if we were going to see that all weekend long, and we didn't. He started to hit more drivers and get a little bit more aggressive because, uh, you know, obviously he knew where he was at. And, um, Overall, a pretty solid week. He's got to find a way to that fifth hole. Still got his number. Always has. Um, so he's got to find a way to that. But 36 and 33 putts on the weekend alone. Um, you know, you give him 30 putts both days and it's a 72-75. A and it's, it's a lot different finish. And it was a tough finish for, for the 78 for, for sure on, uh, on Sunday. He played better than that. But um, just great to see him out there. He definitely moves the needle. All of the guys know it. Um, you know, you've got Harris English who withdraws from hip surgery, shows up on Thursday uh, at the first tee to watch. You got Bryson DeChambeau who misses the cut, hangs around on the weekend on Saturday and Sunday, and is actually out on the golf course following around um, Tiger Woods. You know, this is a former number, you know, number one player in the world out there on the golf course walking around watching Tiger Woods. How cool is that? You got Bubba Watson hanging around for probably an hour, an hour and a half in his green jacket, waiting for Tiger to finish. Right? Gives him the handshake, gives him the, you know, gives him the the hug. So so cool. Uh, Harold Varner on the range. So many guys like you know John Rahm. You know, real even after the the little sly comment at the press conference earlier in the week, you could tell those two connected, and and, and it was a different different Tiger for sure. At forty six, um, you know, he's definitely changed. So. Real interesting um, to see when he's going to play next. I really hope he does play the PGA coming up here. Um, that would be super, super cool at, at Southern Hills. Uh, him and Phil both got entries in for the U.S. Open, so I would love to see both of them play at another historic venue at Brookline. A little bit of a quirky golf course in terms of a lot of blind shots, but you know, he, Tiger may mention to it, um, it's going to be a major s- schedule. And and possibly if he wins one of those, maybe a FedEx Cup uh, playoff, pr- probably unlikely. Probably majors and WGCs will be the big events. Um, maybe the API, um, m- probably Mirfield on there. I know how much Jack means to him, so that's an event that you could probably see him playing at as well. So, but uh, to great to see and shout out to Colin Morikawa. Great finish. Yeah, you cost me some money, bud, on Sunday with the bunker hole out for the the Corey Connors top five. Uh, but I'll give it to you. Listen, uh, in nine major starts, you've been able to finish in top five of every single major, all four majors. You've been able to, and you've and you've got a win in there. 
So Colin Morikawa, shout out, this kid's a superstar. And there's no reason to think on these classic golf courses this year that Colin Morikawa can't go ahead and, and add to that major win column this year. I, I truly think he's going to win one of these final three majors here and uh, and add to that column. But, you know, absolutely phenomenal. And I hope this kickstarts Rory. I hope this kickstarts Rory to, to realize a comment that I saw afterwards. I've never had that much fun on the golf course before. I hope that hits home for, for Rory McIlroy. Go have fun. You've got a baby, got a wife. You don't need to worry about a penny. You've got generational wealth now, Rory. Go have fun, play golf, live to your potential, and go win some more majors and, and go down as one of the greatest in all time. I, I really hope this round kickstarts Rory back into having fun on the golf course and realizing why he fell in love with the game and, and how he became so good. So that's my Masters, uh, Masters preview. No, I didn't get $5.15 million. I wasn't the winning bid for Tiger's Irons from the Grand Slam uh, season um, that just sold in golf memorabilia this week. So uh, I was not the winning bid at $5.51 million, But how about that? That is absolutely incredible. But let's move on to this week in golf. Uh, you know, as always, it, it, with back-to-back majors with the ladies in, in Rancho Mirage at the, at the Chevron last week, or two weeks ago, we got the Masters last week. We kind of ease back into the golf season. The DP World Golf Tour is off again this week. The Champions Tour is back next week, kickstarting their um, season. The ladies are back at the the Lloyda Championship. Brooks, two times winners there in Hawaii, actually teed off today as we uh, as we record this podcast. Um, so they'll be playing out there in Hawaii, getting their season started. So keep an eye out for that. But. Um, you know, the secondary news other than the RBC Heritage is this announcement from, from Greg Norman again as he keeps just poking his head up and trying to keep this dream alive. And, and the news comes out today, uh, some big names suspected, not big names, but Ian Poulter, Lee Westwood, Kevin Na, Jason Kokrak, and Bubba Watson. Uh, Bubba was pretty adamant on social media late this afternoon that that's not going to happen as he jokingly announced his uh, his schedule, but... We talked about Tiger being the needle. I'm going to read you a couple numbers here. 29, 32, 57, 68, and 71. That is up to date as of before, um, at the end of the Masters, actually, Sunday of the Masters, the official world golf ranking of those five players that were named to join the Saudi Golf League this afternoon, um, suspected to. Nothing confirmed. Announcements will come in the next couple weeks. Well, the next couple weeks is the start of May, and your first events uh, about five weeks from then, um, head to head against the uh, the Bel- against not the Bel- Canadian Open, bad habit against the uh, the Canadian Open, and uh, you've got nobody confirmed, and nobody that to me that's really going to move the needle. You can almost scratch Bub off after his statement, and really, when we start to break it down. Kevin Kevin Na and Jason Kokrak. Kokrak's eighth in the President Cup standings. Do you think he's going anywhere? Has never qualified for a U.S. team. Na's 29th. Ryder Cup standings. I know it's a long time away. Kokrak, 13th. Na, 11th. Hasn't qualified for a U.S. team either. Let alone everything that, that's gone down. All of the major talk that we could get into. Poulter and Westwood, different story um, with where they are in their careers on the on you know Lee's on the back back nine, and Poulter's probably 
you know, coming down the home stretch here in terms of their careers and, and their prime. So that's a little bit of a different story. But listen, I think this is where there's smoke, there's a little bit of fire, but I think the fire's coming more from the European side than than any of these US guys from Na to Kokrak to Bubba. Uh I think Greg Norman's uh he's a shark in deep water and, and um he's out of the water right now. He's been shot out of the water and I think he's scrambling. I think he's in serious trouble here. And uh I'd be shocked if if uh if this thing I think it'll go, but I think it's going to be a flop. I truly do. I think it's going to flop um, just like a shark out of water, and I think Greg Norman's going to look foolish once again. Quick little update uh, in terms of the Canadians. Uh, Trevor Immelman got front row center up to up close and personal view of uh, now 7th place ranked on the President's Cup standings at the end of the season here in September at Quail Hollow is Corey Connors. And Mackenzie Hughes up to ninth now, so... Um, the team automatic qualifiers are top eight, four get picked from the international side. So two Canadians, like we talked about a few weeks ago with Derek Ingram that have their eye on making this team now up inside the top 10 Corey's up inside the top eight and Mac just outside of there. Um, not, not too often the ninth place or one outside of that automatic qualifier doesn't get picked. So, um, if it were to end today, both those guys looking very, very good. Let's flip over now. Before we uh, flip over onto the NFL side and get into a little draft talk and, and Tom Brady talk to the RBC Heritage at Harbor Town Golf Links. Uh, find the tightest hole on your golf course, folks, and cut it in half. And maybe cut it in a quarter. Because this golf course is as tight as can tight can be. And uh, you've got to be able to um, place your ball. It's, this is a shot maker's um, target golf course. Hit it to a certain spot, certain side of the fairway, certain angle, certain distance to be able to even have a shot. Um, so par 71 always kind of challenges these guys in a little bit of a different way coming off of um, Augusta. And it don't need to hit it long here. It's only 7,100 yards, 75.6 rating, 148 on the slope. You can go play this golf course. Uh, green fees are, are going in anywhere um, in off-season, $195 to peak season at $370 um, in the midsummer. And instead of the green jacket, they hand out the Royal Stuart Tartan um, plaid jacket. They call it the Heritage Plaid. They adopted this in 1972. They actually uh, picked up their tartan, um, their Scottish tartan, and added it to the logo until RBC became the main sponsor in 2012. And at that point, um, but they still have it in there a little bit, a little stripe down the side. And each year, the uh, these jackets are handmade, and uh, there's about anywhere between 18 to 24 of them made per year, all different sizes and lengths. They're brought over to Harbor Town in, in at Hilton Head, South Carolina, and they are given specifically to uh, to the winner for this event. And we're gonna start from the bottom. Now we hear, and we mentioned them in this uh, this Saudi Golf League. Listen, um, I follow Ian Poulter closely on social media, and I know how much not playing last week hurt him. Um, he wants to get back there, and that's another reason why I think this Saudi Golf League is just just won't work for him. At eighty-three to one, seventeen to one on an each way. Listen, you got to go back all the way to two thousand sixteen before uh, you find a, a year where Ian Poulter didn't really play all that well at this event. Uh, 17, T11, 2018, T7, 2019, T10, 2020, T14. Last year was so-so, one one poor round at uh, at T48. He plays well. Uh, it's not a bomber's paradise, so he can 
be relaxed off the tee. He doesn't need to try to go after it. He can place his ball. He can putt well as these greens speed up. They can be very, very slick around Harbortown. If he can get his iron game sharp, uh, Ian Poulter will be there again at 83-1 to and 17-1 to on an each way for top five. I think Ian, Ian Poulter's worth a few units this week for sure. I think he's going to be motivated. My man, friend of the show, Paul Tesori Caddy, uh, a great first three rounds at Augusta National. Uh, struggled off the start uh, on the first uh, seven holes on Sunday, but a good week overall for Webb Simpson. I think it'll get his confidence back up. 28-1, to 6-1 to one on an each way. Same type of feel for Webby here at, uh, at uh, Harbortown. Got to go back to the same thing as Poults. 2017, he was uh, was T11. 2018, T5. 2019, T16. 2020, he put on the tartan jacket and won this event. And in 2021, he's T9. So you're talking literally since 2016 that this guy hasn't been in the top 16 in this golf tournament for a rock steady top 10 at 28 to 1, 6 to 1 each way. Thank you very much, Webb Simpson. And our big gun, I think this is the third time I've picked him this year. But I just love the kid, and he's playing absolutely great golf. He was hung around all weekend at uh, at Augusta, coming off a T14 quietly in the Masters, 20 to one, four to one on an each way. He plays well here as well. Last year he was T4, 2020 he was T14, 2018 he was T14 as well. Like I said, T14 at the Masters. We're going with the Englishman Matthew Fitzpatrick. His iron game is sharp, and none of these guys are bombers, but they know how to work their way around the golf course, and they know how to score. We're going Fitzpatrick, Webby Simpson, Ian Poulter, extra pick, Shane Lowry. You might have already heard those picks on our social media. We're trying to get them out to you a little earlier now. Not so much uh, of a rush on Thursday mornings. Trying to get them out there um, you know, late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning on all of our social media feeds so you know, you know exactly who we like for each week on the PGA Tour. we got about 20 weeks left, folks on the PGA Tour, so a lot more picks to come. We're still searching for that winner. We're going to find them. We've been all around it with top fives, top tens all year. Um, We're probably down a few units overall, but we'll get them. We're going to find that winner for you and get back into the action. Folks, if you're not following us along on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube, please do so, at Ginger Triple G. Give us a like, subscribe, share, whatever you can to uh, help share the Triple G family. Get this podcast out there. Get it into more ears. When we get back from break, we're going to talk a little bit of NFL news. Daniel Snyder, Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson, Derek Carr with the big signing. We'll get you into the NFL draft and we'll get you out of here. We'll catch you on the flip side. Real life passion for real life sports. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from the Triple G podcast. And let's get into it. It's been a couple weeks now here since we've last talked about the NFL. There's been a few signings that, uh, you know, as always on a podcast, a weekly podcast, you're going to miss. Uh, my Buffalo Bills re-signed Stefan Diggs to um, a pretty team-friendly deal in terms of extensions. And and that's something that um, 
for me as a fan, for me who's somebody who follows along and covers the NFL via this podcast, I love the extension deal because to me it 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 whether it's it's true value in terms of the AAV and and what you look at and and we might as well start even with the with the Derek Carr thing when we talk about this. You know, you look at that extension of Derek Carr 3 years 121.5 million. Well, you're thinking 40.5 million for Derek Carr. This is a guy in passing DVA over the last 3 years has been 8th, 9th and 11th. So he's he's a he's a fringe top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Right? You know, if you were to mention his name, the majority of people would probably tell you he's somewhere between 8 and 12. Hasn't won a playoff game. Um, will he win you a Super Bowl? Probably not. Um, you look at others like him who have who've had three consecutive years in that, that passing DVOA. You know, you're looking at Mark Brunel, Mark Bulger, Big Ben, Matt Ryan, and, and Kirk Cousins. Good, but not great quarterbacks. Big Ben. Wins the two Super Bowls. Had a great running game and a phenomenal defense to do it. And a, and a great team around him. I'm not saying Derek Carr can't do it. Um, because I think he got robbed um, in that Cincinnati game. From the from the bad blown whistle to um, you know a tough decision on, on one of the final plays there on that Cincinnati pick. You know, that, that's, that story could have been a little bit different in terms of Derek Carr and getting his, his first playoff win. And I think with Devontae Adams, I think a playoff win is in that window. But in terms of AAV, you know, you add this year in at, at 19.775, and all of a sudden you've got Derek Carr four years for $141 million. And now he's is at $35.25 million average per year. And there's an out after three years, like, and that's what I'm. That's my point on these extensions is that, to me, you really need to look at, you know, how long how long do you have him in? How long do you have him in his NFL lifespan in terms of age? You know, what's what is it the term of the contract over the entire contract, not just the extension? You've got to add the existing years in there, and then you've got to find out, you know, where that dead cap money hits. When when can your team walk away? If you look at this deal, they can pretty much walk away from Derek Carr's seven million dollar dead cap hit after after three years from now, or two years into the extension. Stefan Diggs was the same way, right? So you've really got Diggs for you know probably five more years before you can truly walk away. Puts them at I think thirty four or something like that, or thirty three. One of those. Don't quote me specifically. I, I looked at it more last week, but but you're catching my drift. As to how we go ahead and look at these deals. Don't get caught up in the shock sticker value of the original contract or the deal. Find yourself into the nitty gritty. Use some of the resources that I've mentioned. Others have mentioned on this podcast in terms of spot track over the cap. They'll get you those contract details. And that's where you can find the true, true figures in terms of what's happening there. Um, Raiders are stuck. What are you going to do? You know, some say trade them. Trade them to trade them to San Fran. Trade them to New England. Trade them to Carolina. One, what are you going to get back in terms of of value? Two, where is your quarterback coming from? You you there's there's a lot of teams don't feel there's a franchise quarterback coming out in this year's draft. So now all of a sudden you got to go through this year. Who's going to be your quarterback? Marcus Mariota's already left and gone to Atlanta, so he's not available or an option. Look what's happened in your division. 
So a tough spot here for, for for the Raiders. I think it's a smart move. You know what? You went ahead. You've got Max Crosby. You've got Khalil Mack now. You've got the one-two punch on the defensive side of the ball. Right? You've got the one-two punch on the offensive side of the ball. You've still got Jacobs. You've got Darren Waller coming back off of an injury. So you've got the offensive weapons. You've got an elite tight end. You've got an elite wide receiver. You've got a good to solid quarterback. Offensive line you've put some pieces into. I think it was the right move for the Raiders. What else are you going to do? Where are you going to go find that franchise quarterback to go toe-to-toe for the next 10 years to 12 years with 15 in Kansas City, 7 in, in Los Angeles? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Herbert's 7, right, in, in Los Angeles. And three in Denver, Russell Wilson. Where, right? And even if Russell's only another five, six years in the league. So, you know what? You pair him, you're one year off. You got Devontae pretty much, I believe, for another five years. That that was a five-year deal that they, they locked up with Devontae. And now you've got Derek for another four that you can walk away from. And I'm sure if you, if you want to package them both out the door after four years because it's not working or it's too much money for you, then you've got that option as well. But you pair them up. You've got your your now your franchise quarterback and now your franchise wide receiver locked in, bookend rushers on defense. I, I, I'm okay with this move for the Raiders because I think that your hand their hand was forced. That would have took a hell of a lot of balls and courage to, to walk away from a Derek Carr, um, who to me, is, he's a top 10 quarterback, you know, at worst top 12 quarterback in, in the NFL. You can do a lot worse than than Derek Carr, that's for sure. Speaking on the the quarterbacks, we'll continue on this one. Lamar Jackson, still no deal done here in uh, in um, in Baltimore for Lamar Jackson. So that's something to keep an eye on as we move in throughout the summer. He is uh, his own agent, so real interesting. And and he's listen, Baker Mayfield ain't getting a new deal anytime soon. He's going to have to go into free agency. He's going to have to find his ultimate destination here in in the next, uh, you know, I would probably say after the draft hits, you know, see what happens with Carolina. If they find a quarterback that they like, what they want to do, see what San Fran ultimately ends up deciding to do here. But you look at that 2018 draft with Baker and Lamar and Josh Allen and the rest. Um, Lamar's the last one here. He's the last last amigo standing here. So real interesting to see what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson. I think I think Baltimore's in a very similar spot to the Raiders. They, they, they have to do it. You just cannot walk away from these guys that are um, close or potentially or right on the cusp of being the franchise quarterback. Just maybe not quite there yet. Maybe that 6 to 12 range. Can't walk away from those guys. Yes, they're not a top three. Those guys are generational. They only come around so often. So that's a, something to keep your eye on. Want to get into uh, my bone to pick before we close this episode off here with uh, with our NFL draft talk and lay the foundation for you know the first round and, and what we're going to think uh, what what we think is going to happen here in terms of fireworks in the NFL draft. But two guys I, I have a bone to pick with, and we'll start with the Washington Commanders, Daniel Snyder, getting booked. For uh, hiding money, two separate sets of books, five million bucks a year for how, who knows how many, how many years, 
and and that's just one. There's more to come. There's more money there. He's been cooking the books for for who knows how long. Just just end it. To me, and this is these are two guys in in this league that that just exemplify sometimes the NFL and what they do. And and when you when you reach a certain clout level or a certain level of ownership or productivity or stardom in the NFL. It's always been the way. They just sweep it under the rug. Right? And, and it's, it's it's time. It's time, Goodell. Just, just end it. He hasn't been on site. Take this team away from him. Either force the ownership to change hands and hit, it, hit him where his pop, pocketbook hurts and have his, his, his immediate family, his wife, have to pay the, the transfer tax on the ownership. Or just completely give him the boot and get the team up for sale and go through that process. Right? And by the way, the Denver Broncos are up for sale as well. I'm real interesting to see what happens there. Some um, some minority candidates are involved from what we're hearing, which is great. Uh, would would love to see that. Um, heard Jay-Z, LeBron James, heard a bunch of different names in there. So... Um, would like to see that too—a little celebrity uh, touch into the NFL and get uh, help infiltrate the all boys, old man, white Caucasian bullshit club. If you ask me, time for a time for a change. Let's change it up. And no one else is time for a change. Tom fucking Brady. Once a liar, always a liar. What an absolute joke this guy is. And, and I don't know how much of this story is true, but I I, th- I think a lot of it's true. The more and more that comes out with this whole fake retirement bullshit. Do you believe the nerve on this guy? I'm, I'm going to fake retire so the Bucks will release my rights. Then I'm going to buy ownership into the Miami Dolphins. I'm going to hire Sean Payton illegally. Then I'm going to hire myself to be the quarterback. And I'm going to own the team, illegally hire Sean Payton, and quarterback the team. For an owner who's on record trying to throw games. What an absolute farce. I, I hope it's a dumpster fire in Miami with Tyreek Hill. I, I like Mike McDaniel. I think, he's a, I think he's a good offensive mind. I think he's a good NFL football coach. But I hope it's an absolute dumpster fire in Miami. And I hope it falls apart. Because you know what? I do want to see Tom Brady in Miami next year. And I want to see him go toe-to-toe with Josh Allen. And I want to see Josh Allen take him down. And I want him to go get Sean Payton and whatever other coaches he wants. And he can rig up and pull a LeBron James. And he can he can illegally tamper who with whoever he wants to illegally tamper with, in my mind. But this guy's an absolute joke. From Deflate Gate all the way back to just being involved. Like you don't think Tom Brady knew that they were they were taping film on the St. Louis Rams on the greatest show on turf? You don't think he knew that was happening? So let's start there. Then we go to Deflate Gate. Then we go to this spiel. And the next one. When are we gonna realize what this guy truly is? Lie, cheat, and steal. Whatever it takes to win. And that's who we're going to prop up as our greatest of all time. Just saying there's a, there's a portion of this guy's career that we should not 
look away from. What what he's won is what he's won. I, I get it. I understand it. But there's a there's a he's just not all shiny smiles and everything's all good here, folks. There's a lot about this guy's career that that if you dig deep and you actually look and pay attention to what's going on and don't let the NFL just sweep stuff under the rug on you. He's not that great of an individual. That's the way I'm going to leave it. That's the way I'm going to leave it. Garbage in my mind, if you ask Ginger. But let's move on to the NFL draft. That's my Tom Brady rant for the week. Moving on. Daniel Snyder, Tom Brady, you're my garbage. Let's get in. We'll get you out of here. On the NFL draft, April 28th and 30th. And by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll be about two weeks to the date. Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, you to me, in the, in this opening night on the NFL draft, and that's where we'll kind of start off on. You either in or you're out. And we got eight teams in, and we got eight teams out. Listen, there's there's eight teams that got two picks in the first round. We got Detroit with two and thirty-two. We got the Jets with four and ten. We got the Giants with five and seven. We got Philly with fifteen and eighteen. We got New Orleans sixteen and nineteen. We got KC with twenty-nine and thirty. And we got Green Bay with 22 and 28. And we got the Houston Texans with 3 and 13. And a lot of those deals have been made over the last couple of years. We've got teams with no picks. Los Angeles Rams, allergic to picks. They just like to give them away. But they gave their pick, their first pick, their uh, the 32nd pick that's now with Detroit uh, for the, in the Matthew Stafford deal. You look at the Bears, they gave their first round this year for the Justin Fields deal. Miami gave theirs away that they originally required from San Fran and moving back with Philly and that whole debacle. And for Devontae Smith last year, um, gave it back up for Tyreek Hill trade. The Browns gave away their 13th overall pick uh, for the Deshaun Watson deal. Vegas gives up theirs, uh, goes to Green Bay, uh, number 22 overall for uh, the Devontae Adams deal. The Colts not involved as well uh, for the Carson Wentz deal. The Broncos not involved there, given their um, pick up the ninth overall pick to Seattle in that deal. And then the San Fran not involved as well. And the eighth and final team not involved for the uh, the Trey Lance deal uh, to move up to number three to get Trey Lance. So really, um, there's a lot of teams that got got some serious firepower and some and some fireworks. And, and listen... When you look at it, a lot of a lot of the prognosticators and everything that I've read and all the reports, I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you that I watch film and do this and I, I watch a little bit here and there to the best of the best I can in terms of of what's available to me. But uh, from my, all the research that I've done and and people I've talked to and and everything that I've looked at, the sweet spot in this draft is rounds two through four. Okay, we know it's deep at receiver, corner, and defensive. I'm going to say defensive line across the board are, are kind of the deeper spots and deeper positions that, that you're going to want to look at in this draft. But what intrigues me on that first night is, a, is you know, number one, Vegas got no pick. So you're going to host a draft with no pick. Well, we all know how that goes. So to me, that's your first one as to um, trade up, you know, potential trade up if if available. Um, in the in the right spot would be a team team like Vegas coming back late into the first round. But what we've seen with these these fifth year extensions is is that in that first round it's important to get the key positions. 
your quarterback, your defensive lineman, your corners, your, your wide receivers. Those higher echelon positions you want to draft and why they're so important in that first round is because you get the fifth-year option on it. So you're getting value contracts for that extra year, which is ultra, ultra important when you start to look at some of these monster deals for the wide receiver market, for the quarterback market, for the defensive end market. Look at all the deals that have happened this offseason. The higher echelon positions. What have they said in the NFL for so many years? Get me a cornerback, get me a tackle, get me a pass rusher, and give me a cornerback. Quarterback, pass, left tackle, pass rusher, corner. The four big key spots in the NFL. And look where the strength of this draft is in three of those four spots. Yeah, we know the quarterbacks are not strong. From Malik Willis, who's got a high high ceiling, to Kenny Pickett, who's got a high floor, right? To Coriel, right? To the kid out of Cincinnati, right? It, it, overall, it's it's just not a deep deep draft. Yeah, well, we might see three or four of them go in the first round. You darn right, because it's a a high echelon position, a position you have to fill to win football games in the NFL. Left guard is not a high echelon position or important position. You can find left guards. You can find running backs, dime a dozen. You can find safeties. You can find linebackers. Right? So so that's where, to me, that's where the key is in, is in the first round. And, and by not having eight teams involved is tells me that they've, they've given up their picks. So, and kind of tying those dots together is is that when you hear these Carolina at six trading down, if not interested in a quarterback, or what are they going to do, or the Jet, the Giants at seven, right, having five and seven, well, they might want to move away from seven and trade down. I think I think we got to, but it'll be a little bit of beware here because to me, there's only a couple spots that you could effectively, or teams that you could trade down from. With eight teams not being involved, okay, um, pick the Giants for, for to start, or the Jets. Jets got four and ten, Giants five and seven. So Giants are Jets. So they, they make those picks at four and five. So we're now on seven or six, six, seven, or ten. Who who are you trading with? A team that's that's got the 38th or 48th overall pick? Right? A team like the Bears, probably in the mid-40s? That's a long way to move up for them. Right? So I see teams like Philly, New Orleans, somebody like that, that a Green Bay, somebody who's got the ammunition already that wants to go get that guy to move to the next level. Like to me, Philly moving from 15 to 10 to go get a guy, that's a possibility. Right? New Orleans moving from 16 or 19 to go get their guy inside the top 10. That's a possibility. So there's an option, right? The only team off the board that I can think that that still has some firepower that might be able to, to make that move if they really, really like somebody would be a team like Miami, who's got two picks in next year's draft. So they may be able to give one of those up to get in. But 
you know, being in, in that mid-second round, once again, where's that going to get Miami? Into the mid-20s? Like, it might get them back up into the first round in the mid to high 20s, but that's about it. So I think in terms of the Carolinas and, and the Giants and the Jets and trading down on those those picks at 5, at uh, five, six, seven, or 10, I think you're going to see the Phillies, someone like, even like a Chargers at 17. Okay, they're sandwiched between New, sandwiched between New Orleans and Philly. They might want to go get their guy, right? Baltimore, who's been quiet, they may want to go get their guy. But I think that's where the trade up in into the top ten will come from, unless somebody does something here uh, leading up to the draft late, like a Green Bay or a KC, where they move up into the teens first and then go get their guy um, inside the top five, six, seven, three, four, five, maybe, but. If it's happening on draft night, it's got to come from, to me, the mid to late teens to come up into the first round. But you look at it, to me, the first three picks are, are pretty set in stone, and then it, it really starts with the Jets as to what the Jets want to do. Do they take Sauce Gardner? Do they take Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame? Then the Giants, where do they go? Do they go for the pass rusher or the tackle? What do they do with seven? Does Atlanta trade up, um, or do they stick and get one of the best wide receivers? In, in a Garrett Wilson or a Drake London out of USC. A team like Seattle, to me, has got to hang tight and just take the best available player. At this point, it's about adding quality talent to the roster in Seattle. Build up the talent. Exposure in the roster, for me, is, is the number one option for Seattle. Baltimore talks about them. Do they go up to get their, their edge pass rusher or go get a Sauce Gardner if he's dropped to pair with a Marlon Mon- Mon- uh, Humphrey? Right, talked about New Orleans and Philly, and then and then the big thing for me in the in the mid twenties is when does the wide receiver run start? When does the wide receiver run start? And do teams in the twenties get desperate and try to trade up and get back into it, or do they hang tight? And we're talking like teams like New England, Green Bay at twenty two, twenty eight, Arizona at twenty three. They lost Christian Kirk, right? Yes, they got Rondell Moore, but do they want to go get somebody to pair with Hopkins, put Rondell in, uh, in the slot? And put that, have that, uh, you know, that XY receiver uh, on the outside. Dallas, a lost Amari Cooper. Yes, you know, they, they love Gallup, right? And they still got s- some tight end weapons as well. Still got CeeDee Lamb, but don't, don't ever underestimate the high-profile players and the wide receivers and the sexy players at Dallas. So Dallas is an option at 24. We know Buffalo is an option at 25. Tennessee's, I think, an outside option at 26. A.J. Brown, Robert Woods, and who? Right? We know both those, Both those. you know, Robert Woods get long in the tooth. A.J. Brown struggles to stay healthy sometimes, right? And Kansas City trying to restock the cupboards at 29 and 30. The wide receiver run will come at some point. How early does it start? Does it start in the mid-teens with a New Orleans or a Philly trying to add pieces around Jalen Hurts and trying to add pieces around Jameis Winston? Or does it get to the 21 with New England? Does New England have to go trade up to go get Jamison Williams? So real interesting in terms of um, trading up, trading down, and where the runs start. Um, what I do think and I do know is that I truly only think there's going to be two, two at most three quarterbacks taken here in this first round. I think Pickett and Willis are your guys in the first round, and Coryell and uh, Ritter out of uh, out of uh, Cincinnati 
our um, our second round picks. So I hope that kind of geared you up for the NFL draft. Like I said, we're going to try to be joined by some some of the guys from the Draft Network and other draft experts here in our next couple weeks. That's my main goal here on the podcast to dive a little bit more into the prospects and what they see and and some of the intangibles and tangibles and and measurables that they've seen here uh, from the Senior Bowl to the Combine to the Pro Days and all the workouts that we've seen. But uh, we'll dive into that over the next couple of weeks. We'll get you ready to go. And we're going to go live a little bit. We're going to do an Instagram Live, live on the draft night for the first round only, kind of reviewing the picks and seeing what happens on uh, on opening night of the NFL draft. I think there's going to be some uh, some fireworks, not as many as we think. I don't think it'll be as crazy as the offseason was because I think teams have now started to run out of uh, of capital, and there's some good free agents out there. Still available, Tyron Matthew. Stephon Gilmore visited with the Colts today. Was rumored with uh, with another team. Who was it? Um, was it the Saints? No, it was Tyron Matthew with the Saints. Um, Gilmore with the uh, with the Colts. So um, he's been rumored to Buffalo, possible return to Buffalo as well. So who knows? But uh, we'll get you geared up for the NFL draft. Enjoy the RBC Heritage. We'll close. We've officially closed the book on the Masters. Looking forward to the PGA Championship now. Uh, coming up here at uh, at Southern Hills in a month or so's time. Other than that, folks, make sure you're following us along Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Ginger Triple G, and we'll catch you next week. Mm-hmm.